Hey, hey, you're listening to the Let's Heal Already podcast for the sometimes impatient, sometimes cranky person doing some healing. And I'm your host, JR. I'm an author, actor, and speaker from Far Rockaway, New York. And on this podcast, you'll hear me cover ground on a variety of topics from mental wellness and emotional literacy to blackness to masculinity and femininity, to ending misogyny and patriarchy, to last but not least, bisexuality and ending sexual shame. Hi, my name is JR. I'm the host of Just JR. It's a YouTube channel where I talk about mental wellness, uh, bisexuality, and patriarchy. So today I have very special guests joining me, and I will let them go ahead and introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ross. I'm from Los Angeles, singer, songwriter, author, also work full time in higher ed. It's nice to be on the call with everybody. What's up, everybody? For those who don't know, my name is the JC Poe, and I am really excited to be coming from Charlotte, North Carolina to talk about all things bisexual and black and positive. Hi, my name is Stephen Underwood, uh, author. Um, coming in here from Jamaica currently, so there's that, but we're from Ohio. Hey everyone, I'm Malui, and I'm creative, and I'm out here. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I brought all of these beautiful people together today to talk about ending misogyny, patriarchal women, and ashy black Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that <laughs> <laughs> it will be, it will be helpful um i think to start off by you know um sort of unpacking what i mean when i talk about like patriarchal women or patriarchy um and i think there is like a few other better ways than to sort of quote bell hooks on the matter um so this is from the will to change men masculinity and love and what i'm reading comes from page 22 of this book. Okay. So patriarchal thinking shapes the values of our culture. We are socialized into the system, females, as well as males. Most of us learned patriarchal attitudes in our family of origin, and they were usually taught to us by our mothers. These attitudes were reinforced in schools and religious institutions. The contemporary presence of female-headed households has led many people to assume that children in those households are not learning patriarchal values because no male is present. They assume that men are the sole teachers of patriarchal thinking. Yet many female-headed households endorse and promote patriarchal thinking with far greater passion than two-parent households. Because they do not have an experiential reality to challenge false fantasies of gender roles, Women in such houses are far more likely to idealize the patriarchal male role and patriarchal men than are women who live with patriarchal men every day. We need to highlight the role women play in perpetuating and sustaining patriarchal culture so that we will recognize patriarchy as a system women and men support equally, even if men receive more rewards from that system. Dismantling and changing patriarchal culture is work that men and women must do together. So that was a mouthful, but also like that was just like so like sort of like profound to have it like literally written out and in, in, in um, just like clearly understandable words. Um, and so like two things immediately come to my mind. First of all, I want to say that, you know, like 
me starting off this video talking about patriarchal women, it's it's not, I'm not trying to blame women for uh, patriarchy and I'm not trying to say that, oh, it's women's fault. Because <laughs> um, that's like very uh, ashy Twitter, which we will get uh, to later. Um, what I'm really interested in underscoring is the fact that um, you know, these attitudes and these teachings go beyond um, a person's identity. So I think it's very easy to be like, oh, yeah, patriarchy is bad. Yes, duh, it is. Um, and it privileges uh, men and especially white um, cisgender heterosexual um, men um, and not recognize that like, oh, actually, I've been I've had so many patriarchal teachers across genders. Um, and it's easy to miss that. It's easy to be like, oh, yeah, most women are feminists or most women agree with like, oh, yeah, women empowerment or blah, 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 or this or that. And it's like, you're like conflating identity with like political, like, um, like stance or political orientation. Um, so does anybody want to say anything? I can hop in real quick. When you, um, when you read that, I was just kind of thinking, just about my background and like you said about the teachers and all the people who take part in it. So super religious background, um, my dad and my mom, but also too, I feel like a lot of people do, they did subscribe to that kind of subservient woman, male dominate, male kind of dominant structure. Um, and I like the last part of that paragraph where they said that men and women have to unlearn it together because I think it has to be a very coordinated, like intentional effort just because it's so pervasive. It's literally like air, you know what I mean? And so sometimes I wonder about the implications of like, how do you truly escape it? That's something that came up for me since it's pervade, since it's so pervasive. That's mm -hmm. my first impression. I would say what jumped out to me when I was hearing all of that was um, that line about the differences between the two parent household versus the one um, me growing up in a two parent household, my parents, um, you know, they're both foreign. My dad's from Haiti. My mom's from Trinidad. So they came here like really a team. So they didn't really have the traditional gender roles. There were times where my dad was without work and my mom was bringing in all of the bread and it was vice versa where my dad was, you know, the person making all of the money and she's at home raising me and my brother. So getting to see that in the in the home really does that that line really did jump out to me because I do see how it translates sometimes to people who are who didn't get to see certain roles in the home that weren't so heavily you know patriarchal traditionally wow yeah, yeah. Uh, oh sorry go ahead go ahead no I was going to say same here that was the thing that uh stood out the most to me was just thinking about the differences between um, single parent and multi-parent um, households. And I, I know I personally have a very, I guess, unique uh, upbringing in the sense that I was raised by two lesbian women. So my mom's, a le both of my moms are lesbians. Um, so I didn't have that, I guess, traditional mom, dad structure. And um, I was always kind of encouraged to be whoever it is I wanted to be and to do whatever it is I wanted to do as long as I wasn't hurting nobody. Um, but yeah, I was definitely thinking about that. Like, yeah, not, I mean, a lot of, uh, black folks in the, uh, in the community are raised by single mother parent, uh, single mother, uh, how, single mother households, but I had two. So I was just thinking about how 
the ways of patriarchy may or may not have been present in my own upbringing. Of course. Wow. Yeah, and I'm just like relating it. Oh, sorry. Did you want to go say something, Stephen? Uh, yes, I did. Um, go ahead. This is a structure I've been thinking about a lot in my own background um, and having to write my thesis, which covered family and my relationship with my mother. Um, there has always been this feeling that my mom, um, I call her an accidental feminist, because a lot of her mentality, a lot of things she likes to discuss, the things she believes in wholeheartedly, um, does reflect feminism um, in ways that I don't think she wants to acknowledge. But because of like the whitewashing of feminism over the years and in Black culture, and also in the truth that she wanted to, she wanted to succeed as a Black mother, and by doing so, being able to raise me in a way that reflected how she was expected or how she saw Black men being raised, um, it felt like there was some reinforcement of the patriarchy um, going on within there. But then there was also, also moments where those instincts, those lessons, that bearing was kind of going up against her actual beliefs and what she actually felt or what she actually wanted to entertain. Um, my mother, by no stretch of imagination, denies that power is an important thing to her. Um, but at the same time, how she always navigate the, the leveraging of power or how power should be enacted or lessons about how I should treat women mm -hmm. or how I should treat other people are always really insightful to build the type of person I am today. Um, so in hearing and like always trying to go up against how I know, like how people discuss like, oh, black women reinforce patriarchy too. Uh, black women don't really care about X, Y, and Z. Um, it gets interesting because I just know foundationally from my experience versus what happened versus how I know the reality of the situations to be, those things don't always go together. And that patriarchy in situations like what you might call a single parent household, um, even though I didn't really grow up in one, it's a really complicated story, but um, it doesn't always look like the violence that people have framed it as online. You know, there's the truth and then there's the reality of the experience. Um, Right. <laughs> um, I was going to say, like, in terms of uh, how I was raised, I was raised primarily by my sisters, my older sisters and my mom. So, I mean, my mom was at work a lot, though. But I mean, yeah, my older sisters and my mom. So I was raised by women. And so I think for a long time, um, I had a lot of trouble, like, around like gender roles and stuff because it was so like enforced it was like oh no like you don't do this because you're a boy man you're gonna be a man one day um you're the man of the house and like all of these like kind of like sticky awkward weird things that were said to me um and they were particularly sticky and awkward because i didn't feel like a traditional boy i didn't feel like i fit in with boys i didn't really have a lot of like boyfriends like that um i was usually always like around girls um you know like that's who my friends were that's who wanted to be my friends that's who thought i was funny um like a lot of boys didn't want to be associated with me because i was feminine i was um seen as gay and and you know that's like awful um uh so i was around girls all of the time and so like the, the stuff that i read from the book it's like I wasn't really around guy like guys like that. I wasn't really around boys like that. And yet and still I still like absorbed these attitudes that are present in society and that were certainly taught to me from like my mom and my sisters about like this is what boys do, this is what girls do, this is how boys are, this is how girls are. Um 
And so, yeah, like it took me a really long time, even as I like grew up and like got into my twenties to even be able to recognize that like, oh no, there's like misogyny within me. Like that took me a long time to realize. Cause I was definitely like a soft boy, sad boy. Like, so think like Frank Ocean and Drake in the early days and like, you know, that kind of stuff appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't hear like overtly like misogynistic stuff. Like I, like I, I couldn't tolerate like that music. Like I, I just, it just, it disgusted me, but I would put on Drake, but I would put on J Cole, but I would put on Frank Ocean early days. who was definitely very misogynistic. Um, but in a different way, you know what I mean? In a soft boy way. Um, so yeah, um, we're going to get into that. Um, but I just wanted to read, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to read um, one more thing and then we'll get further along into the discussion. Um, okay, so certain people who experience both privilege and oppression do not want to challenge the social structure that oppresses them. This is because they recognize that challenging this social structure will cause them to question and perhaps lose the dominance they have over other groups. Whether it's out of greed or a matter of survival, people tend to conform to the system that spits on them. Kyriarchy is best theorized as a complex pyramidal system of intersecting multiplicative social, social, social structures of subordination and subordination. Wait, super, oh, superordination and subordination. I don't know what superordination is, but I would assume it's just the opposite. Anyway, of uh, ruling. <laughs> And oppression. Yes. Okay. So yeah, like that is what we're talking about in this conversation. We're talking about um, really intersectionality and like the ways in which you benefit and also are oppressed by um, a certain system and why so many people do not want to challenge the overall system. They might just want to challenge what oppresses them, but not too much. Like <laughs> they don't want to be oppressed, but they don't want to change the system. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess I wonder about um, some impactful memories of experiencing either biphobia, homophobia, um, queer antagonism from a girl or woman, from all of you. Um, I just kind of wanted to say that, like, for me, like, patriarchal women almost always see me or saw me as like a thing, like an object, not a human being. And um, whether that was like a disgusting, disease-carrying thing as a bisexual man or an entertaining thing as like a person who's like somewhat funny, I guess, and like feminine or whatever, um, or a thing that can afford them a great sexual experience. I'm still a thing. I'm not a person, not, never quite a human being. So I want to hear about what y'all feel about that or if y'all want to share some experiences that's so dehumanizing um like what you just shared like just towards the end of it i yeah it's dehumanization and actually i feel like we know that a lot of variations exist in the world like we know that people are kind of negotiating with the system and doing what they want. But I feel like sometimes patriarchy is like an old pair of shoes. And I think I've said this. Can you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I think I've said this. I feel like patriarchy could feel like an old pair of shoes for everybody. It's kind of like you just know how that shit works because it's in media. It's everywhere. But to add to your question, I have definitely experienced a lot of um, phobia kind of like stuff growing up. I remember in my workplace, there was a girl who I had a crush on uh, back in the MySpace era. And yeah, I don't know if any of are you guys. You guys are old enough to remember MySpace, right? Yes, definitely. So you wanted to be in her top, <laughs> right? I want to be in your top three. Yes, your top three. But so this is kind of when I was trying to get used to the whole bisexual disclosure type of stuff. So that is a separate conversation, but I thought I was doing well. So it's like, okay, I'm interested in you. I'm going to tell you like that. It's like, Hey, I'm bisexual. You know, I think that you're really whatever. I was wondering if you could hang out. So she decided to tell like my whole work place. She was like, Hey, so Ross is gay and he's like trying to go out with me. And so I remember that as a teenager, early teenager, just how that made me feel because I'm interested in you. I'm not gay. Why would you tell the whole like floor some false information? So that is kind of, I don't know what phobia that would fall into, but I felt like that kind of introduced me to uh, a lot of different kind of behaviors that some women choose to do and i feel like that's i mean yeah i don't know and and after that i just started to kind of withhold that information so i mean there's a lot of lessons that i learned from that and that um has affected has affected me in quite a long long way you know because you have to somehow forgive her while at the same time be comfortable in yourself like, it, it, there's a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I've had something serious, something like similar to that. So I definitely can relate, um, to the situation. It was a mutual friend that I knew, um, and she introduced me to her friend. At the time, I was still trying to figure out labels and how I wanted to self identify, but I wasn't denying myself from any sort of experiences with different genders. So when I met her um, and she was into me and stuff like that, and she was like, she kept questioning, like, are you, are you only into girls? Are you only into girls? I was like, yeah, like, like at this point, like, yeah, I am. But I wasn't fully honest with her in the situation. She, you know, was upset, like you said, later on and spread news like, oh, he's gay. And when, when I did come out and stuff like that, but we ended up, you know, having a lot of relations anyway. So I don't understand why there was so much phobia um, in the, in the, in the discourse before we even, you know, transpired. I don't even know why it even happened, but it's crazy. So I definitely relate to your story. Wow. That sounds like yours that it worked out, but I remember mine, it was just a bullying hot ass mess. And plus during that time, like, I mean, you know, I was like a light skinned, pretty boy with like curls and shit. So it really just came. It was like a, a cute, you know, at my um, employer. It's just kind of like, why would you even talk to someone like that? But mm. I'm happy that that. Yeah, I, I, I happy. I'm happy that it worked out for you um, on the positive side. Yeah. Wow. I think. Um, I've never... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't think I've ever experienced like that. I'm so sorry, guys. I was actually going through that. Um, my queer antagonism has always been um, in regards to my siblings. Um, I have two sisters. We're very close. Uh, but most of my life is only just with us three and our mother um, and our father, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But my sister has always been like a stalwart ally. Like when I met, I came in contact with queer people early in my childhood because my sister went out of her way to befriend other people. Um, and just generally was the vibe in the room and the ally. Um, but at the same time, like recently when I came back to Columbus, I found out that there was some metamorphosis in how my sister's conduct has went. Like my sister will march in a pride parade and she is all for like championing queer people, trans people and everything. She's never said a bad word out of her mouth about anyone uh, in the community. But at the same time, she and my other cousin were discussing like dating bisexual men and my sister was just like, I can't do it. I can't match myself being with any guy who gets bent over. It makes you less masculine to a man. Um, and the irony of her saying that, because I don't think she's fully formed in her head that her brother is a bisexual, the same type of man she's discussing with. Um, triangulation of like that direct statement um, towards me and being in proximity to me and how much a lot of it was just her saying things out loud that she thought reinforced her femininity her femininity and her blackness and like things that she felt like, oh, this is just things that, you know, if you're a black woman, you say um, and you perform. But it's like, I know for a fact from her actions that these two things don't really compute or don't go together. So it just feels mean in the moment. Hmm. Hmm. That family shit cuts deep. I'm not gonna hold you. Um, yeah, I definitely have had, um, you know, people in my family say uh things and do things um toward especially other bi men like oh yeah like this we had the perfect dating experience like we went out many times and like they were fun they were smart they were emotionally intelligent i was attracted to them they made me feel beautiful blah blah, blah. and then they disclosed that they were bi and um from that moment on i just couldn't believe that they actually were really attracted to me like they were really interested in me as a woman um and i can't really tell you like that does not feel good i mean i know like obviously like a lot of that has to do with um the programming that uh the media has done around bisexuality in men black men especially um and how like the large majority of the representation of black bi or black pan or black fluid men um has been written by people who are not black fluid bi pan men so like mm -hmm. the stuff that's out there about us is not created from people like us um mm -hmm. and that was like a big uh inspiration for me starting <clears throat> excuse me that was a big inspiration for me starting the hashtag bisexual men speak but also developing like the youtube like there's a youtube um playlist a bisexual men youtube playlist of uh just like tons and tons of videos of just bisexual men on youtube just speaking about different aspects of their experience um it's like getting it from the horse's mouth like instead of like hearing like what other people have to say about us and decentering ourselves from our own narrative like my intention was just to like compile videos so that we are the ones talking about what it is to be a bisexual person um and then i think situations that have cut me the deepest or that i've experienced the most of most repetitively most consistently throughout my life is 
like I said, I was raised by women and all of my friends were women for the vast majority of my life. So I would befriend these people. I would make them laugh or they would make me laugh and we would share things and we would go through life together as friends in like middle school, elementary school, high school, whatever, college. Um, and then they would date overtly homophobic men. Um, and that was always all, that was a consistent thing throughout like my childhood, throughout my life, really. And it's like, whoa, like that's uh, few things hurt me, um, <laughs> as much as like things like that. Um, and JR, did they know, uh, at that time, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. did they know, uh, how you identified? Like, did they have a sense of like, Hey, my new boyfriend is saying this. Oh shit. My best friend identifies like this. Was there any kind of. Well, okay. So you know how like a lot of schools or like, I don't know, like most schools or most, most towns have like, Oh yeah, you know, the gay guy or like, Oh, that, that queer person or whatever. Like I was kind of that. For, like, my elementary school, my middle school, my high school, um, yeah, people kind of, like, it was like, oh, yeah, you're definitely not straight. Like, I, I didn't really ever really sort of, sort of, like, pass until, like, I would say I hit, like, my mid-20s or something like that. Then things started to, like, change. So, yeah, they knew. <laughs> they definitely mm-hmm. knew. <laughs> the people I'm talking about, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So that felt, so it sounds like it felt almost like a personal attack. Like, wow, you're my friend and you're dealing with this person. Yeah. Yeah, It's very weird. Mm. And then also like some of these people are people who like I've confided in that, oh yeah, this fucked up thing happened or whatever. And they're like, yeah, that was fucked up. And then it's like surrounding like queerness. And then they're Mm. dating someone who is like overtly, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. so those, those situations like definitely cut really deep for me. Um, um, yeah, no fun. Um, for me, I, I think I can, I can definitely like echo that JR, but I, from growing up with sisters, um, and witnessing, like, I think there's something with the conditioning that women, especially black women go through about like, how they need to navigate their relationships, which is they prioritize them romantically, romantic relationships over even your platonic friendship, no matter how close they are. So you get situations mm-hmm. like this where, like, oh, it's okay I'm dating a homophobic person because that's a more important relationship than, like, the relationship of how safe you might feel by me, like, partnering up with this person, spending time with this person, and, and in many ways, like, echoing, like, sentiments shared in proximity with this person. It has nothing to do with our friendships, but this is, like, me looking out for, like, that long-term investment of love for myself. Um, in partnership. And I, I feel like it doesn't just stop like, in elementary school. I've seen it as I'm navigating my 20s happen over and over again. Um, luckily, many of the people who I'm thinking of when I say that have unlearned that and went, actually, maybe I shouldn't put all my eggs in just the romantic basket, uh, <laughs> fortunately. But mm-hmm. it's definitely something I noticed as a part of like your conditioning that it's what you do. You're supposed to put romantic and like, the, the potential of a future husband before the mm. needs of your friends and their op- their um, observations about how this partnership is impacting them, as if it doesn't matter what your partnership does to your immediate close uh, boundaries and circles and relationships. Wow. Yeah. So that was so like that was very uh, profound and very like true. 
Um, the next question I want to ask is related to this. Do patriarchal women upset you more than patriarchal men do? Why or why not? And so I will start and I will answer this and be really vulnerable. <laughs> I think that for most of my life, the answer to this is definitely yes, that patriarchal women did upset me more than patriarchal men because the women who raised me were like, like, I kind of like learned like, oh no, women are better than men or like, like men are bad, they're dogs, they can't help it. But women are like, oh no, like we're better, <laughs> like we're not as visual creatures or we're not this or with this. And so, um, <laughs> and like that's the, that's the, the trapping of like, you know, like bioessentialism too. Or anyway, sorry, let me stick, let me focus. Um, that is the trapping of that thinking that like, oh, like as a response to like misogyny and like, um, the 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 degradation of women it's like oh no actually we're not less than men we're better than men or whatever and it's like when you set someone up on a pedestal when you say oh no women are better than men more emotionally intelligent just inherently or whatever without any work just this better blah blah blah, blah it kind of sets you up to fail because when you you put them on a pedestal and then they're humans then it's like you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to be a human. You told me that you are a God. You're not supposed mm. to be like this. So for me, um, for most of my life, patriarchal women did upset me more because um, with patriarchal men or patriarchal boys who I was around, it was outright rejection. It was like, no, ill, you're disgusting. Get away from me. Mm. But with women, patriarchal women specifically, it was like, oh, no, you could be with our friend. Like, you could be our friend. You could sit with us. You could, like, yeah, like, you're funny. You're cool. Like, oh, like, you you cool. Like, we you cool. We cool. And it's like, oh, oh, okay, y'all cool. And then you get into the, the stuff. You get into the politics. You get into who you date or you get into some other betrayal. And it's like, but y'all told me that y'all was cool. Y'all told me that y'all wasn't, like, outright rejecting me. So it's this, like, weird thing of, like, oh, no, like, yeah, I love you as a person. And also, um, your lifestyle is a sin. What? Like, it's such a, like, it's, mm. like, it's so, like, it's not mm. outright rejection, like, get away from me. It's, like, oh, no, like, we cool. Oh, and also, I think you are disgusting. You, like, you're gross. Like, what you do, your lifestyle, like whoa like for me like just pieces of you are cool pieces of you are cool that cut me deeper because i didn't see it like like you're going to hell but until you get there that's chill (laughs) 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 and so and so how do you like how do you reconcile a patriarchal woman as a bi man without being misogynistic i feel like that and and, and and that no like that's literally where i got stuck and when i was reading some of the stuff i was like that's where all the things overlaps how do you reconcile patriarchal woman as a bi or pan fluid man without being misogynistic and so my hmm. barber once said we were talking about something when the um roe v wade situation happened when they did the reversal and he was talking about, yeah, so women just want to be believed. Women just want to speak freely. And so I was like, damn, so maybe it's on me as the bi man to be able to hold space for that. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Because if they look at it like, okay, wh- I don't have the ability to speak as a woman. You're still a man. 
and you're bi man, you're still a man. So maybe I have to be able to hold space for that in order to not be misogynistic because even in the bisexual men's group that um, on the app, sometimes I'm, I wonder like if you correct biphobia, if you tell people about themselves, like, am I not allowed to do that because that's misogynistic? Like, can you attack the ideas without attacking the person? So those are just some of the things that's kind of where I get stuck, like how to, correct and inform and to stop without being labeled or checked as a misogynistic man. Mm. I think for me, uh, the, the feeling that I got about like combating it is that I don't, because I'm like, there's no, for a patriarchal woman, I've come to the realization around 25 that there's nothing I can do nor what I want to do that is worse than having to live an experience where you're reinforcing things that can also be also be reflected right back at you that probably already has in your life a thousand one times. So it's not really a lot that I can do with that. However, in the same stance, like I learned about my divine masculinity from my mother. Um, there's lots of people who kind of like go back and forth with it, but there is a truth to me in my experience that women can uphold their own form of masculinity, not possibly but masculinity as in your enforcement of your power um, and your presence and your right to exist in a space with safety and your boundaries intact. Um, that I just, I walk into situations and if I find active aggression being hurled at me, I don't worry about like the, the basically like the, uh, the PR of like the actual interaction. How does it look for me to treat the woman in this way? I worry about like you are creating harm at me I need to address it and express my boundary that you can't keep doing this to me um, and it's not okay or remove myself from the situation afterwards. But first, I have to vocalize that something definitely wrong is going on and if we can't communicate about it, we can't continue. Because mm -hmm. as my right as a human being, it's also their right as a human being to be notified that, hey, you're doing something wrong to me currently. And whether or not that's your intention, I think it's a fair deal of me to let you know that this is having this, this kind of result. Um, and so it's, it's always really hairy because I think a lot of theories suggest that, oh, no, you shouldn't, or at least people misconstrue the theory that, no, you shouldn't, you should just brave through and take it, or you should take on more than it's probably your share of the load to carry the weight to rectify the situation. But in reality, like you're a human being and like there's limitations to what you're able to do. And there are limitations to what you're able to stand and tolerate. Because the mind can only take so much. Mm -hmm. I, thousand, uh, I was going to say I a thousand percent agree with Stephen on that. Um, I know for me personally, um, I try to model the behavior I want around me in my personal interactions with folks. Um, you know, how the larger society behaves and perceives me and engages with me, that's none of my business, for real, for real. I mean, I'm impacted by it, but it's like none of my business, ultimately. But like for the folks that I, I care about and I love, like I try to, I don't know, just model, uh, lean into like my divine masculinity, as Stephen pointed out, like just really try to like lean into my softness and use tact and like, give people the dignity of um, knowledge because I feel like in one, in one way, if I'm not addressing something that's wrong, that's for me, I also perceive that as me saying like, they're not able 
knowledgeable enough to to understand something and course correct. So I'm like denying them that privilege to kind of like correct themselves. Um, but of course, if something is like really violent, you know, I'll just remove myself from the situation altogether because, you know, all that. I mean, so excuse me. Yeah. We can curse. Oh, we can curse. Okay, yeah, we can curse. Yeah, but fuck all that. So I just, you know, I just try to lean into like the softness of the situation, try to educate through um, the way that I model my interactions with folks. Um, and if they don't get it, you know, I open the floor. And if they're not willing, it is what it is, you know. So then, so that always falls. So then it sounds like what you're saying that it is our job to do that work and be able to, to be able to emotionally, I guess, get to a place because I guess I probably should have said, so I've interacted with a lot of women over the pandemic via clubhouse, um, uh, the audio app about topics like this and other topics. And I'm just curious to know, like, what happens in your mind? When like you meet a bisexual dude or like mm. he's trying to talk to you, like what is happening? And some of the stuff that they are saying ha- happens in their mind is just like, wow. And then when you try to say something, it's like, well, let, w- let women speak. This is what women think. So it sounds like, so it's always going to be on us to be able to calibrate, know when to get out or get in. And maybe that's why community spaces like this are important to see like how people are dealing with it. So we can kind of like support ourselves, you know, I don't know what you think about that. I don't think it's, I don't know, maybe it's just semantics. I don't know, but I don't think it's our job to do that. But I do also recognize that it's the work that we have to do for ourselves. I can't quite eloquently, uh, collaborate on the distinction between the two, but I really don't feel like it's our duty to really um, educate, you know, like even in the context of uh, anything else, like if someone is a part of a a privileged group and they're disenfranchising folks in their language and interactions with folks, it's not up to the the oppressed in that situation to kind of educate that group. But at the same time, there is work to be done and um, figuring out how to navigate those spaces and deciding, again, if this is a moment where I want to educate, I can educate or engage in this situation and, like, change the narrative of what's happening, or do I need to remove myself? But I don't think it's necessarily, um, like, our job. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think if you give <laughs> too much virtue to it, you, you start getting that, like, the energy of trying to be a hero. And I don't think yeah. there's any real heroes in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, me, I think I said this to JR all the time. I'm an entirely self-centered being. Uh, I do things that I feel like satisfy me and the needs that I have. And most of the time that just turns into just things people will code as being kind or nice or doing something mm-hmm. heroic just because I'm not an asshole. <laughs> um, no <laughs> one feels good being an asshole. And so when you look at it as you're doing things for yourself, you remove the heroic aspects of mm-hmm. it and you might feel less righteous about the actions you're doing, but you find that you're able to take on the lows and the battles that you're able to handle. Um, and I'm so sorry, but in the same vein of saying I'm self-centered, I have to go. <laughs> I have to go. Um, it's okay. Thank you guys for having me and make sure you guys keep up with Bisexual Men Speak. 
about JR, uh, my love, my friend. Um, and thank you again. Shout out to Steve Underwood. <laughs> thank you, Steven. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. Um, what I wanted to say, um, Ross, like I, I really appreciate everything everybody just said. Um, to me, it sounds like, you know, like getting on an app like Clubhouse, especially in certain rooms that popped up during the pandemic. Um, it kind of, what I was kind of hearing is like these like bastardization, the bastardization of like feminist talking points or, or pop feminism, like, oh, you're speaking over a woman. That's misogynistic. That's not like, like, that's such a like, that's such a like, um, that's such a warped, um, approach, um, to understanding what feminism is. Um, that is such a warped, horrible, um, approach. Um, and it kind of reminds me of how, like, you know, like conservatives tend to, um, purposely, purposely, purposefully, purposefully misunderstand um, topics or certain things mm-hmm. and then argue it from the misunderstanding or the, the, um, the, the bastardization of the actual talking point. Like you're talking about this specific thing and they're like, Oh, so what you're really saying is this. And then they'll argue from that place. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so what I hear is that I'm you were in these clubhouse right no accountability exactly you're not interested in in, um a dignified like learning Mm -hmm. environment um you know like especially on clubhouse i've seen like lots of those rooms are just like horrible so like echo chambers and the people who go to those rooms no shade like the rooms i'm talking about or actually shade um the people who go to the rooms that i'm talking about they go with a particular like thing Mm -hmm. And the people who are drawn to those rooms, like with the title, oh, bye, man, blah, 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 they're not there to learn or hear yeah, other perspectives. Exactly. They don't care. Like, what? Like, so, like, engaging with bad faith actors is not a great um, thing to do. It, like, will literally tire you out and potentially, like, trigger and traumatize you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, it sounds like, you know, like, obviously they had their turn to speak. I know how Clubhouse works. And then it was your turn to speak. And then you start presenting information. It's like, oh, you're talking over a woman. You're being misogynist. That's not, that's, that's disgusting. <laughs> that's absolutely yeah. disgusting. That's not, like, <laughs> I, principal feminists would not be like, oh, yeah. Like, like no, that's like, so I think this kind of also brings us into something I definitely wanted to talk about, about how some people use um, certain things from um, particular ideologies as empowerment versus a commitment to that ideology. So just because a woman is a woman, that doesn't mean she's a feminist. That doesn't mean she's made a commitment to feminism or um, a, a, a opposing um, people, all oppressed people or people opposed by gender. Yeah, like, and even if they say certain things that's like, feminism catchphrases or like whatever like some some people are just using um certain taglines as empowerment to make themselves feel good not as a mm-hmm. political commitment to a, a particular ideology so mm-hmm. that, that's part of why i wanted to separate like oh who are we talking about patriarchal women or like this kind of woman? like it's not all women it's not like you know like who are we talking about what are we talking about and um the fact that like i think that especially online um, people's perception is that like, oh yeah, women are feminists. And it's like, no, not all women are feminists. And even women who quote from feminists or women who are like, 
oh, equal pay or women who are like, oh, this is wrong. Like I was like, this messed me up. That doesn't mean that they've committed to feminism or black feminism. Mm. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they have developed a feminist practice, like feminist, uh, feminist praxis or like, um, an analytical lens to look at like things like class. That doesn't mean that's just, they just was using that quote to like feel good yeah. or to, to yeah. understand their experience. So like, that's an important distinction too, because it can get like, Oh yeah. Like this woman, she's a feminist or whatever. Like, like, do you know for real if she's a feminist? Like, has she really committed to that? And there are different ways of being a feminist. And sometimes feminists are wrong too, or like act in ways that they don't, they would look back and be like, yeah, I I shouldn't have done that. They're humans too. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of wanted to say that before we kind of move on, if that's okay. No, yeah, no, that's good. And I think, uh, bad faith actors, I mean, I definitely get it now after a year and a half of Clubhouse. Yeah, like there's people, their intent, their intention is to cause harm. They can't be reached. They're not interested in learning. They're tied to their, uh, talking mm-hmm. points. Yeah. I think all of that is, um, I think all of that is very true. And so I think that's what happens when you're a kind person, kind of like Steven said, like I try to approach situations with kindness, like, Hey, you're wrong. And this is why it's like, nah. So, yeah, you're definitely, I definitely get what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, I have this written down, promises, promises. We've all been duped. We've been promised certain things by the patriarchy and they're based on lies, distortions, and fascism. You will feel justified in your rage when you don't get what patriarchy, patriarchy promised you. Um, um, uh, I also have written down, um, for a lot of women, men who make them feel sought after and special while also making them feel incredibly unsafe and unseen politically, emotionally, and physically are their comfort zone, which I think is one reason many women, specifically patriarchal women, flock to patriarchal men because patriarchal men make them feel seen and or like special and sought after. Um, but at the same time, they make them feel incredibly unseen, unsafe, um, politically, emotionally, physically. Um, I observed something at my workplace the other day. Um, basically it was this woman, she was just there to have lunch. And then, um, these guys like were there to like drink. And so they had been drinking for a minute. And then eventually they started like, you know, just chatting with the woman and like talking about various topics. And I could tell immediately like, that these men were very conservative men, very, very, very conservative, very like Joe Rogan, very um, Andrew Tate, very like that. I could tell immediately. Um, And she was trying to like, she was, I think she had the intention of being like, like try to be present and try to like, oh, engage with them because they eventually started talking about politics and she was trying to see their side. She was trying to make them feel like listened to and just heard and consider like, oh, I could see how you came to that conclusion. And then she was also like, oh, can you see how this particular thing is like oppressive to me? And they was like, I'm not seeing that. I was like, no, no, I don't care. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I do not care. Um, they were definitely mm-hmm. Trump apologists. They were definitely like very, very conservative. And she was like with them. She was with them up to a point. She was like, Oh, I could see that. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh blah. And then she got to like, Oh yeah, women's, women's, um, access to 
um, you know, uh, their bodies with, with like bodily autonomy. And then they just immediately was like, no, like, <laughs> like, no, <"Nah." laughs> like, nah. wow. um, they just kind of like, was like, oh, anyway, back to what we were saying. And she like, she got so like worked up and she was so invested. Um, and she, wow. she just, she wanted them to see her too. Cause she was willing to see them. She was willing to see their side and she was just, she just wanted them to see like, oh, and actually like, can you see my side too? Like, oh, I'm <laughs> you got to your political whatever, but do you see how like politically that's like bodily autonomy is like the most basic, that's not even like a complex uh, matter. Mm-hmm. Um, bodily autonomy. And it was like, no, I'm not like, no. <laughs> so, um, my question is to the group is what is your comfort zone in regards to women? Like, do you feel like you have a comfort zone of being comfortable around patriarchal women? Do you feel like parts of like, like the allure of how like patriarchal women might make you feel a little special or sought after or whatever, but then at the same time, deeply unsafe politically or deeply unsafe emotionally, et cetera? Patriarchal women are not my comfort zone whatsoever. I would say my comfort zone are probably queer women. I, I mean, I think I've been, you know, obviously conditioned by my own upbringing. And then also I didn't mention earlier when everyone's talking about their, um, their, uh, impactful experiences, but my first, um, relationship was with a bi woman who later then identified as, uh, lesbian, uh, and that was a very interesting relationship. It was beautiful, and we're still best friends to this day. Um, so I think because of, like, my experiences, like, queer women are my comfort zone. And, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much, I feel like I, <laughs> anytime I'm in a space where I feel like I'm not wanted to any degree, it's automatically, like, it, I, I automatically remove myself from the situation um, when you were talking about the, the scenario with the woman and the two, uh, guys, I started laughing a little bit because I, it just made me think about like those videos where, um, you have like a black person or like a, not even just black, but someone of color, but I'm going to just say black person because it's like extra specific for us when they, um, are engaging romantically with white folks and have a preference for white folks and their dating patterns and stuff. And then they act gagged when they do something white (laughs) just like it it sucks obviously you know but at the same time like i I don't get how people are surprised in those situations um but yeah queer women are my comfort zone um patriarchal women are just they're not it just yeah i have no space there so hmm Wow. So I have to leave in four minutes, but maybe I'll just follow you up, um, Malui. And I, I think just part of my bi black man journey is as it's unfolding, I'm trying to get into spaces to where I get a chance to experience other bi pan queer women and see what that's like because I've only dealt with patriarchal women. And I feel like how I experience that as a BBM or bi black man is, <laughs> and this is really, this is a really weird, I wonder if you guys can relate to this is like, 
okay, so if you have some woman out here who's agreed to go out with you, like you better pay for everything. Like you better mm. come, like you better come on point job on point. Like there's no question who's about to pay for this because of all these built in kind of ideas. Right. And so I'm used to that level of discomfort and I don't know what it's like engaging with a woman who does not subscribe to that. Mm -hmm. And actually it was a queer woman, a bi woman who pointed it out. She asked me out for coffee just to link up, chat, catch up, whatever. And so like I pay for the drinks and all that stuff. And I, she was like, Oh no, I invited you. Like, why would you pay? And so even in that little example, she took me down the road of unpacking why I felt I needed to pay. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I discovered like, okay, so patriarchal woman's like, okay, low key, you understand them. Um, but it's like, I want to experience something else to see how else I'm able to show up and experience myself. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to deal with a patriarchal woman who is like, what does that even mean? Like now that we've had this conversation, it's like, there's so much more, like life can be so much richer, you know, mm -hmm. when you kind of put yourself and your experiences at the center over some other ideas that are oppressing people. So, yeah. Wow. I definitely so can relate to that too. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I know, I know Ross has to go. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your time and like your contribution just now. And then, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And I want to hear, um, JC, since you said you can oh. relate just before I tap up. Yeah. I just want to hear. Uh, yeah. Like when you said like, um, your type of woman and you said with dating and coming all put together and stuff like that. That is something that uh, I feel is is present with a lot of women. So trying to unpack that in those certain situations where if this person invites you out, are they the one that's going to be paying? Or if you invite them out, you're going to want to be paying. But I definitely would say my comfort would probably be not patriarchal woman. Um, it's just not it's just for me, it's just too much conflict whenever certain situations like that do arise. Um, I would say more so independence. An independent type of woman is more so my comfort zone, not like patriarchal though. Someone who is, doesn't mind being, um, you know, independent can do for their own. Doesn't have to really rely on certain situations mm. to, to make a decision. And thank you. And I think for myself, like this distinction and like this, this sort of like label that we're using for this conversation, patriarchal woman helps me to really like, hone in on what the discomfort and the, the the stuff that I've repeatedly experienced is and was I was like I cannot understand because like Ross kind of was like oh like earlier about like oh it's like you know calling out these women like is that misogyny and like kind of like those mm -hmm. ideas and like I was like why am I having certain like misogynistic ideas or like why am I like in my mind only able to imagine a woman in a particular way. And like, that goes back to comfort zone. If your comfort zone is women who think like this or um, operate and move through life like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to have certain like sort of beliefs, especially based on your own experience in various ways with various different people, women specifically 
because they've all they're all like a particular kind of type or like they're all committed to a type of thinking or way of being but that's not all that's not how all women are mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yes <laughs> yes i do know what okay. I mean. <laughs> yes but i'm gonna tap out guys Thank of course you. thank okay. you so much bye uh... yeah um so yeah like that was i realized um that like yeah patriarchal women were my comfort zone for like most of my life in my friendships that i chose in um like when i like well for there like for a long period throughout my 20s i was not at all interested in um engaging with women even though i was still attracted to them but um before that like it also dictated like who i was interacting with too like that was my comfort zone um and now I'm in a different part of my life. I'm in my mid thirties now. And I finally feel like I've done like a lot of the things that I wanted to do in terms of like healing work um, to where now I can engage um, with women again. And that feels amazing. And um, I know for a fact that like patriarchal women are not my comfort zone. And um, as friends, like patriarchal women are not my comfort zone and same with patriarchal men. So like even if they're queer men like a lot of queer men are still like attached Mm -hmm. and um, invested in actively invested in patriarchal thinking patriarchal beliefs and behaviors um and it took me a while to like you know like rediscover or re-establish what my comfort zone was and that was not an easy process um but we'll get more into that as we go on um (laughs) I have a question for both of you. Since it's only three of us now, we all get to sort of like speak if we feel um, up to it. Um, what has holding on to misogyny cost you in the past? See, mm, I still have that, that frame of mind where it's like, what's for me will be mine. So, <clears throat> I feel like if, to just simply answer the question, um, it hasn't really cost me much in my mind, in my (laughs) mind, (laughs) uh, because I feel like if I have to kind of sacrifice my, my inner morals and ethics and beliefs and stuff to perform a certain way to obtain something, it feels less qualitative to me. And so I just kind of let go of it and the things that I the things that I was able to attain and accomplish and experience as a result of me letting go of all that bullshit feels so much more. So I don't feel, I don't, I, I didn't, I never felt the inclination to really hold on to like misogynistic views once I became aware of them because I couldn't get anything from it. Like if I, performed a certain way to obtain a partner that's only going to go a certain way for a certain length of time eventually anyway so i never felt like i lost something particularly now to other people looking at me they might be like oh you could have been this you could have done this you could have been here done this i get that but for me personally i don't feel like i lost anything to be honest because i never really held on to it you know once i become aware of something it's like all right, I got to do the work if I want to get something better for me and what I want for my life, but I don't feel like I lost anything. Um. Yeah. I feel like for me, it holding on to misogyny, it costs me tapping into my femininity 
Um, mm. I feel like that's what it really cost me. Um, but like you said, once you become aware of it and you let go, you really can tap in and it really doesn't feel like you, you, you know, you're losing out because it really doesn't, because it really doesn't, it's your frame of mind at the end of the day. Once you become aware of it, you have control over a certain situation. But I feel like it really mm. did cost me a lot of situations where I could have tapped into my femininity earlier, um, mm. in life. But now that I'm comfortable and aware of self, it does I don't have any problem with with you know holding on to misogynistic views, expressing femininity, masculinity, you know, it's just who I am as a person. It really exactly. just boils down to that. But I feel like that, you know, it could have different communities and groups and people that I've could have touched earlier on in life if I would have been more so um self expressive and honest and true and mm -hmm. authentic. I think that would have been um something that kinda cost me there. Well. Um, I think um, holding on to misogyny, one of the things that cost me was feeling like I could trust women. Um, um, oh. I felt like I was always going to be betrayed by women. And um, I had been betrayed by women many times, um, patriarchal women. So holding on to misogyny definitely like cost me like the ability to trust women and feel safe around them, like really safe. Mm -hmm. um, so letting go of misogyny for me also meant letting go of patriarchal women and letting go of like, like redoing my comfort zone so that I was not drawn to women who would eventually betray, betray me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I wanted to just talk about for the people at home, I wanted to give you like an actual tool if you are interested in unlearning misogyny or even unlearning like um you know biphobia toward like men or 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 uh people or, or whatever um this is a tool that was developed by Thais gibson um it's from the integrated attachment theory um uh trademark that she has she is somebody that i've worked with in the past um and it's basically like a belief dump basically um you focus on a particular group. So in this particular instance, we are talking about women and unlearning misogyny. So um, if, yeah, at home, you just uh, write it out on an, in a journal, like all of your beliefs, positive and negative about women, um, um, ranging from anything or things that you've heard multiple times, even if like, you're like, oh, I don't really believe that. But if you've heard it all the time, like if the people that you hang out with or the media that you consume says it, write it down. Um, and basically what you want to do is you don't want to show this to anyone. This is a very personal exercise because um, it's not about attaching like judgment or shame to um, our beliefs because that's not particularly helpful in um, sort of unlearning them, especially if you're interested in doing that work. Um, so yeah, you write out all of your beliefs about women onto page, positive and negative, and you kind of want to go through each one um, individually and for the ones that you want to challenge, which is probably all of them. Um, you want to ask, um, is this belief a hundred percent true all the time? Can I know it's always a hundred percent true no matter what? So for example, the belief that I can't trust women, is that a hundred percent true? There are no women you can trust whatsoever. You can't trust women to be on time for a phone call. You can't trust women to hold space for your emotions. You can't trust women to um, be responsible or respectful. Is that a hundred percent true of all women? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not an exercise to gaslight yourself um, and not an exercise to say that, oh, your experiences with being betrayed by women is not valid or is not, it didn't happen. This is to like get your mind to perceptually like balance things out. So it's not exclusively negative so that you're not exclusively like, oh no, women will betray me for sure. No matter what, like, you know what I mean? You're just trying to balance your perception so that it's not completely to one extreme. And even like a positive belief about women, like, oh yeah, women are just be- like inherently emotionally intelligent. That sounds positive. But once again, that goes back to what I was saying. Like when you put people on a pedestal and they don't always perform to that pedestal, you are going to be crushed. So all women are inherently more emotionally intelligent or emotionally intelligent. Is that 100% true all the time? No, it's not. (laughs) Um, You're going to just bring yourself a little bit more into balance, a little bit. Um, and for some of the beliefs, some of the beliefs actually might be true or are true. And so like the next level in, um, Thais's, um, sort of like steps is, okay, if this belief that I have is true, why is that bad? And what do I make this mean either about myself or about the world? Does this like, does this now mean, or do I now make this mean, oh, that means like I'm unworthy of love or I am a bad person or I am defective or I'm not good enough or I am blah blah or they are blah 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 and so you kind of well I know this ring fell off um you kind of want to like go back and forth um with those two um like those two framings like um what do I make this mean why is this bad until you like find this like really like sort of like deeper truth or deeper like like sort of like wound that you have. And that's kind of where you want to like focus the healing on either with yourself, either through reading, either with a therapist, um, et cetera. Cause that root that's underneath all of that stuff, that is how you like really change and transform. And that's like really my um, intention or like my, my interest in being on the internet or being um, talking about these things. Like, you know, like, it's not just an intellectual exercise, like, oh, misogyny is bad. Don't do misogyny. Like, okay, yeah, but, like, what's underneath that? Or, like, how do we actually get to solve this stuff? Like, I want to – I'm really interested in solving misogyny. I'm interested in, like, you know, like, the change. And it's not just going to come from, like, sort of, like, shaming or it's not just going to come from mentally knowing, oh, yeah, that's bad. you got to do the belief work, too. And same, like, for, like – at people watching at home for like bisexuality, if you want to do that same sort of belief dump um, for bisexual men or bisexual people, that would be great. Um, somebody's audio is like a little like crinkly. Um, is it mine? Oh, it is mine. No, it's not mine. Um, JC, would you mind muting yours real quick? And then, yes, it's JC. <laughs> Sorry, maybe it's the headphones. I don't know. Sorry. Thank you, Malini. Um, okay. So, oh, you're taking your headphones out or maybe changing them or something. Um, so yeah, I hope that was helpful for anybody who, uh, wants to do that. Yeah, it's still like some noise issues, JC. Okay. Yeah, JC's figuring it out. Um, so I wanted to, um, move on. Um, 
Oh, we're almost at the end. Oh, yay. Okay. So, um, I had the panelists today, um, watch a video. Um, <laughs> did you see? Oh, boy. So, yeah, the video, <laughs> I had them watch the a video. Um, and this video uh, is of a uh, bisexual man. Um, it's a channel called Say So on YouTube. That's much better, JC. Thank you so much. Um, so the name of the video is DL Bisexual Men's Biggest Fear is Homophobic Females. Child. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> challenges <laughs> and double standards. Um, so that's the title of the video. If you want to go ahead and talk about that. Um, but I wanted to bring this to the group because, uh, um, <laughs> like, it's it's pretty bad, guys. It's pretty bad. I mean, if you couldn't tell from the the title um, and the use of females, like it's pretty bad. Um, and so this is like from a black by a man, and um, it just kind of reminds me of so many of the things that we've been talking about in this conversation about like hierarchy um, and like the ways that you benefit and um, are oppressed by the same system, and people not being interested in addressing oppression, like patriarchy. They just don't want to be oppressed or they they express discomfort around being oppressed while actively oppressing other people. In that video, I mean, that guy <laughs> said a lot and like, it was hard to watch um, for a couple of reasons. One of them being that I was that guy once upon a time. So it was hard to see that. <laughs> it's hard to like see ideas that you've had on somebody else. It's like, Ooh, no, <laughs> like, you know, like, that, like, part of yourself or whatever. The mirror. Yeah, the mirror. It's like, ooh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then also, obviously, the other part of it was, like, he was just so incredibly, like, uh, misogynistic and disgusting, like, from calling, uh, you know, women uh, females. And also, I believe he used the B word um, a couple times. Um, and a couple of the other things that he said were um like you know fat phobic and misogynistic and whore phobic um because he kind of <laughs> talked about child he talked about he talked about how like oh there are in his experience there are like some women i won't say the word that he used there are some women who are open to dating a bisexual man but oh all of them are sluts or all of them are like this um or they're like like and so it's like, like, okay, so the, the women that you're saying that are into you, um, you are repulsed by them um, because they are not, like, wholesome. That's the word that he used. Mm-hmm. He, he said, like, they're not wholesome women. The women who are open to dating by men are not wholesome. Um, but then he's complaining that, like, wholesome women are disgusted by him so it's just like it ain't like how could he like he didn't hear himself while recording the video <laughs> a little bit never he just hit <laughs> stop and upload and then move, walked away from the computer child he never played it back reviewed it nothing <laughs> but there were pieces hmm. of things that were when he was talking about situations and it was it was too much like I never like right now like I try always to say always or some or like sometimes or because there's never a situation where it's going to be like an always type of situation so it's not you can't just categorize everybody 
there might be some of the bunch, but not all of the group, you know? And he was very adamant that, yeah, it's everybody who, every type of woman is just like this and feels this sort of way. And I think he was just talking about his own experiences. He just didn't convey his message the way he felt like he thought he was, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. Honestly, it felt like <laughs> it felt like one of the 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 bi guys in the hood or like the DL guy that eventually found himself from the one of the niggas I used to grow up with like talking and it was just like there were so many things I was I got the ick from like oh you're saying female and da 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 and then you're also like colorist and fat poet but like yeah. I hear you but like it was one of those situations for me. Um there were definitely things that he said that were, they were facts, but I feel like they were also kind of like watered down and kind of complicated with all the other isms that he is yet to unpack and address. <laughs> um, so I don't know. And then I don't know what his audience is, but based on some of the comments I was able to peek at, it was like a lot of women, um, women of color, black women as well. I, I don't know if it was like mostly black women or not. So I'm just, I don't know. I just saw like five comments really. Um, but yeah, they just, they were not like here for it. And I get it. I get why, but yeah. Nuggets. They were nuggets. They were nuggets. Yeah. yeah. So many things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly about like double standards and stuff. And yeah, you're uh, really right about like the colorism and texturism. And, um, there was also a part that, that like, that was, uh, kind of hard to hear too. Um, and we don't have to stay on this for too much longer, but I did want to say like, there was like this, um, sort of intense focus around like, um, if a man is able, like, Wait, I could say this, yeah. If he's able yeah. to get hard, yeah. if, if a dude is like, able to get hard with a, with uh, yeah. a woman or something like that, yeah. that level. Yeah. Oh, we, my God. <laughs> it was a lot of focus on, like, male anatomy or, like, a penis yeah. um, getting hard and, like, that being the determination of someone's sexuality, which is, like, just so incredibly antiquated and ridiculous, but this is literally, like, the stuff that I grew up hearing, too, yeah. um, and especially um around, like, adult male performers who were bisexual, like, there was such intense scrutiny and focus and, like, oh, does he get hard? Does he stay hard the whole time? And blah, 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 this, that, that, and that is the determination, like, that's the determinant of your sexuality. Um, and, um, yeah, that's just, like, so not true. Um, so many adult stars, first of all, um, you, and no shame, like, this is part of their job. Um, they use, like, enhancing drugs, like, uh -huh. they, they, to, in order to stay hard or whatever. Um, also, like, those sets, like, it's not, like, the video might be 30 minutes, but it might have taken all day to shoot those things. So, I guess I'm just saying, like, especially for porn, like, it's a, there's so much reason why somebody would be hard or not hard or half hard or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but then down to like actual real people, there are many reasons why a person, um, with a penis can't get hard for somebody that they're attracted to. There are many, many reasons, especially as you get older, as a person with a penis, um, many, many reasons. Um, there are also like belief reasons too. Like, like we did that belief work earlier. And so like you might 
experience attraction to someone, but if you literally feel unsafe and you believe that you are unsafe with this person or this gender or whatever, that could be a block too. Or there are many, there are many, many, mm. many, many reasons. There are many reasons. Um, but I just thought that was like so incredibly ignorant um, of him. But I liked how you phrased that, Ma. Like you were talking about Malui, like it reminded you of like the hood, like bisexual dude who just hasn't really done a lot of like reflecting or reading or whatever um or unlearning and just kind of like yeah certain things is nuggets certain things is true and then it's like sort of like crowded by all this other like stuff (laughs) yeah definitely because yeah even in that uh example when he was like if you're not able to get hard for that person that doesn't mean that you're and then i was like that's true but like uh, but like you're also using the, the, the the biology of it just yeah it's like i got it but at the same time there's so much work to do um and having the conversation you know what i'm saying so yeah it was <laughs> it was a lot from the the bi women rejecting the bi men the colorism of that phobia stuff just the whole concept of disclosure and being a dl person and at, the, at some point I feel like he really like blamed or put most of the onus on black women as mm-hmm. to why DL culture exists. It was just a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. There's, I just, I had so many thoughts. <laughs> so many I, thoughts. Um, so we are pretty much at the end of, um, the conversation. So to close us out, I was going to read, um, something from, um, bell hooks again but i wanted to know like if anybody else wanted to say anything or uh sort of maybe talk out like something that we already kind of mentioned or something um hmm. i know that you wanted to discuss a little bit about ashy twitter oh yeah i I want to know like what what do you mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Oh, oh, oh. I know what he means, but... Okay, we up to speed and the people who don't know. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so Ashley Twitter is obviously, like, I'm obviously referencing, like, Black people, so uh, Black men, um, specifically, um, who are essentially, like, committed to patriarchal thinking, but also who go out of their way to like um, sort of shame um, women, um, black women, or who are, you know, who worry about like humbling women or who say things like, oh, like black women or dark skinned women shouldn't wear red lipstick or like, you know, um, the Kevin Samuels of the world and like um, an alpha man and like, they there's nothing like they don't they can't live up to that white supremacist um ideal because they are not yeah they don't have access to that white supremacist ideal but they they say like oh that's what you should be doing and you ain't you ain't shit if you don't you know doing that that stuff so that's kind of what i was referring to (laughs) just being smart yeah understood okay cool i just i just wanted to know (laughs) learn something new today ask you twitter just, Those are all the people who are like, um, if you watch your behind, you gay, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh exactly. my gosh. I just have, I, like, we should just, I, 
how do I say this? Just stop platforming these niggas. Like, <laughs> if you see someone with an ashy take or whatever the case is, like, click your little, like, not interested or whatever. Like, don't quote them. Don't argue with them. In my opinion, like, just leave them be. Just let them be in their own little echo chamber and whatever, whatever. Cause there, there, there ain't nothing changing. You know what I'm saying? Like they're capitalizing off of it. They, they clearly see some social value in, in adopting these ideas. So just please stop mm. responding to them because I'm tired of seeing it. And I only see it not because I follow that kind of content, but because people are responding to that mm-hmm. kind of content and it mm-hmm. makes its way to my shit and mm-hmm. I'm over it. So. Yeah, that just stop responding like... to the ashes. Take that power <laughs> away. <laughs> right, send them some cocoa butter and keep it keep it moving. Um, <laughs> Queen no, uh, <laughs> I I think that this is reminding me of something that I saw on Twitter like a couple of days ago, and it's like um, <laughs> press press for sake the sake of press. Like bad press is is just press. Um, so there is this there's this um adult um adult entertainer and adult i'm talking about a porn star child uh or like a only fans creator that's not the same um yeah and he lost he lost his account so he just got a new uh, uh twitter account and he was like how do i get like how do i get my old followers back or like how do i get like my name out there and so the way that he decided to do it is by part- participating in massage noir and like he had a he took a photo um, I think it's with a bunch of um you oh wait, do you know what I'm talking about? No, but Uh-oh. I'm already just kind of sorry. <laughs> he took a photo, um, and he was standing next to a white woman and or I think a couple white women if I'm not mistaken. Um, and his caption said something about black women in it, like, oh yeah, I could never trust them, or like, oh, like oh, they're horrible or whatever. And so you know, obviously, like, the image of, like, a dark-skinned Black man with a bunch of, like, um, white women and uh, then that caption, you know, it's immediately going to kind of get the eyes on it. And that's kind of what you were saying um, mm-hmm. about how, like, you know, quote people quote retweeting and arguing and blah, blah, blah. It's literally doing exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to get his like he just wanted to get his name out there and like be get his following up and obviously get subscribers um and then also you know it's like some some guys do like believe that or or whatever so um now he has his own tribe or whatever um but at the same time like i guess it's important to talk about like how all of this content is um militarizing um young men and also like leading to real world harm and like femicide and like um you know increases in violence against black women especially in new york um and um like that this has real world harm it's not just like oh yeah they're in there talking um they're in their um, echo chambers and just like having conversations amongst themselves like these beliefs that they're festering and like all of this hate that that they're festering is not only influencing like the next generation of, of boys and men but it's also act like causing them to go out and like enact real violence. Um, yeah. so it's really like one of my int- intentions with this video was really, um, to talk about 
how to address misogyny and how to unlearn it because some men do want to unlearn it and they just don't know how and they don't know where to start. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what the context of me, what the context of me saying this earlier was, but just really mod- first modeling it in your own life. I think we're so visual. If we see, literally see someone doing the work, that gives us data, you know what I'm saying? But then also like when we're um, having conversations with folks, like try to strip your uh, critique of like antagonism, you know, like like the, the say so, the guy who did the video, like clearly there's a lot wrong with the language and the, there are a lot of things to still unpack and stuff. But I feel like if I were to address him personally, like, you know, that was wrong, da 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 like da 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 He's not gonna get he's not gonna get that there are some things he should challenge himself on to unpack whatever it is he needs to unpack. He's just gonna receive the antagonism and feel defense like his defenses will probably go up and X, Y, and Z. But I think just like saying things in simple terms and being compassionate in, in the way that you're addressing folks is just that's really it. And if they still ain't getting it and they still or if and or if they get really violent then you know back off but that's all we can really do honestly um yeah if and conversations really- like these like mm-hmm. like you like jr said earlier kind of we're being the voices and kind of controlling the narratives because the narrative is coming from people who don't really represent us at all so when we're in a position where we can create our own story and tell from our own life experiences ways that we've combated misogyny and worked through it and kind of lead by that example and host, you know, things like this, this is the way that I feel like things can kind of change. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, uh, and it's no shade to like our folks and stuff. Um, because you know, safety and whatever, but. I feel like oftentimes when we have these types of conversations within like queer community, black queer communities, we're often talking to ourselves and like we already get it. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) like the people who need to really need to hear the material aren't hearing the material. And when they do hear the material, it's like inundated with things that they never even heard of before, conceptualized or even became aware of at any point in their lives. So I think that and this is not our job once again it is work if it is our work if we um feel passionate about changing um the the atmosphere it's like simplifying things and adding compassion to the mix in your education you know what i'm saying um and modeling the behavior like i said before because it's like honestly truthfully i mean i'm not really concerned with like what white folks are doing granted this is all like the byproduct of white supremacy I'm only concerned with the black folks that I love and care about, to be honest, um, because those are the folks I directly um, interact with. And from my experience, it's just more, it's, it's like men, a lot of these things happen because women play their part too, but men, I don't know how else to say it. Like they're just, they're just afraid to be real niggas. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, it takes you, calling yourself wrong. Yeah. Like holding so yourself like, accountable. Yeah. Like when I, when we were talking about the relationship with um, like our relationships with women, it's like 
yeah, the onus of like disclosure isn't on us, but at the same time, it's like there are dualities. At the same time, like if you enter into a space, and this is across the board with anything, if you enter into a space knowing who you are, proclaiming who you are, and being very candid and transparent about who you are, that removes the opportunity for someone to, I guess, later deny you of um of any form of access based on who you are. You know what I'm saying? Like it when I get into it, when I'm starting to vibe with someone. They're going to know who I am, like the, my sexuality, my uh, political view, like they're going to know those things. So it's not a thing for me to like, I can't even conceptualize being DL because it's like, how do you get to a point where you've had this entire relationship and they don't even know something as integral to you as like your sexuality, your politics around gender, all these different things. And I think a lot of that is rooted in the fact that men are just, a lot of men in our community are just afraid to be real niggas because they worry about what other men think. Mm -hmm. Um, Not even the woman, like it's not, (laughs) so it's like, from my understanding, my perspective, like a lot of men wouldn't even, I guess, show up as they are in their relationships with women because they're afraid of how that information will be passed on to other men which are other conversations about safety and violence and aggressing and all this stuff. But I feel like that's just, that's one of those sacrificial things. Like if, if you're showing up as you are, like people can take it or leave it, mm-hmm. you know? And like, unfortunately, a lot of times, like, you know, being authentically yourself in our community, um, opens the door for a lot of like violence and unsafety and like our survival um being threatened but it's like are you, in my mind i'm like do you want to live for yourself or do you want to live for others again with the question about like what did i lose or like what the cost of things were like i ultimately won't feel like i really lost much if I showed up authentically as I am and experienced things as a result, I would actually feel like I like lost a bit if I was kind of like hidden and I was able to gain things and that would actually feel really weird to me. So what I hear you Um, saying is that like your comfort zone is from a place of owning and accepting who you are and every part of who you are. But yeah. other people's comfort zone is is shaming parts of who they are, um, and not oh, looking at parts of who they are because mm-hmm. they they don't like it and they they attach shame or judgment to parts of who they are. Or even if they do like it, like it, even if they do like those parts of themselves, they don't like how society perceives those things, you know. And I know that was that's currently like in my own personal unlearning like that's the that's kind of like a challenge for me where it's like I'm cool with who I am like I'm cool with what I am my beliefs like I know how I show up in the world and I, I you know I'm I'm solid in the way I navigate my relationships with folks but it's like I can't control how the larger society perceives me and how they re- how they respond and or react to my unlearning like my learning is like a target or it's like a lighthouse. 
in, in many respects. It's like, you know, you can be inspired by the work and or feel threatened by it because you're triggered about the things you're not able to uh, reconcile with within yourself. Like, like you can apply that principle to a lot of different things, but in terms of like my, my queerness and, and my black queerness, um, especially in our community, it's like when they see someone just authentically being themselves, you know, niggas be mad. <laughs> They be mad for multiple reasons, but you know I can't. I can't affect. I, I can't. I can't affect the way that they react in their madness. All I can do is just be me, you mm -hmm. know. So I don't know, and I that feel like that's the problem. People are afraid to be themselves mm -hmm. because of that. You have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. That was so deep. Unfortunately, um, right? Um, and I just kind of wanted to point out, like. Uh, just this last thing, um, just about like, you know, when we talk about oppression, um, it's experienced interpersonally, interpersonally, and institutionally. And so like, you know, there's an aspect of like the self-shaming, the self-guilt, the self-denial, um, or this like the, the, not fragmenting of self, but like, yeah, kind of like judging aspects of the self so all of that internal biphobia panphobia um all of that internal sexual shame or shame in general and then there's the the community effect of like what people around you think and believe about specifically bisexuality pansexuality um um and then institutional oppression too um and how it's facing it on all of those levels did JC, did you want to say one last thing before I read and then we close out? No. Mm -mm. Okay, cool. So this is once again from The Will to Change, Bell Hooks, uh, Men, Masculinity, and Love. And this is on page seven. When I was in my 20s, I would go to couples therapy and my partner of more than 10 years would explain how I asked him to talk about his feelings. And when he did talk about his feelings, I would freak out. He was right. It was hard for me to face that I did not want to hear about his feelings when they were painful or negative, that I did not want to, that I did not want my image of the strong man truly challenged by learning of his weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Here I was an enlightened feminist woman who did not want to hear my man speak his pain because it revealed his emotional vulnerability. It stands to reason, then, that the masses of women committed to the sexist principle that men who express their feelings are weak really do not want to hear men speak, especially if what they say is that they hurt, that they feel unloved. Many women cannot hear male pain about love because it sounds like an indictment of female failure. Since sexist norms have taught us that loving is our task, whether in our role as mothers or lovers or friends, if men say they are not loved, then we are at fault. We are to blame. Mm. This is so powerful because it is accountability. It is talking about the ways in which like her political um, commitments as a black feminist um, mm. still the ways in which like, oh no, I actually like what, like what, 
I am drawn to about men or my idea of men is this thing that is actually not, uh, that is like harmful to men. <laughs> like this idea of like being inhuman, 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 not human. Okay. <laughs> um, and so like, that is so real. That is so real that she wrote that on page seven. That's like the intro of the book. <laughs> um, real. Bell Hooks is real. Um, yeah, she is. And- yeah. And um, I just think it was just so beautiful because it really like helped me so much. Like we're all wrestling with this stuff. We're all trying to unlearn, or not, we're not all trying to unlearn patriarchy, but the ones of us who are <laughs> committed, um, there are little, there are moments where we are like trying to pull things apart and wrestle with and un- uh, like unlearn and, and relearn. Um, and so I, like, you know, with me talking about patriarchal women, I don't want people to turn their ire toward patriarchal women. I want people to turn their ire toward patriarchy, mm-hmm. toward the interweaving, intersecting, interlocking experiences of oppression that prop one another up. When you learn them, that's how this stuff becomes weakened. That's how this stuff becomes um, something that we don't see in our societies and our communities anymore. Um, because we have different and better and healthier ways of relating with one another that don't involve domination and violence, but instead instead involve like care and community and um, exchanges. So I hope this conversation was um, fruitful for anybody listening. And I really appreciate y'all. Thank y'all so much for like chatting with me. And um, this was absolutely beautiful. So I really appreciate y'all. Oh, Thank you so much. This was great. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Let's Heal Already podcast. To be clear, I'm not advocating for an emotionally intelligent patriarch or for more men to begin and end their work at feeling comfortable painting their nails, wearing dresses, or expanding what falls under the fold of masculinity. Similarly, I do not want to be a highly efficient, well-adjusted worker under capitalism, which is often the aim of Western therapy models. I am calling for the system to be abolished. That system is imperialist, cis-heterosexist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchy. Please leave a rating or review on the platform you use to listen to this podcast, and feel free to share this with your friends. Donation to show support can be made at J-R-Y-U-S-S-U-F on Venmo.